Let us pray. Father, we admit to being Trinitarian, recognizing that you are one God of three persons. We pray that through your Holy Spirit, we may over time gain a better understanding of this doctrine of the Trinity, only that we may worship you more fully as we strive through your grace to be as you would have us be. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> well, if you haven't figured it out yet, this is Trinity Sunday. And there is good news and bad news for me. The bad news first. I have to preach about the Trinity. The good news is that I only have to do this once each year. I'm going to divide the sermon into two parts. First, I'm going to read to you a very clever remake of the Abbott and Costello conversation. Who's on first? I hope everybody remembers that. Am I too old? You know it? Who said that? Ryan, out. I hope you'll all recall this from sometime in the past, but even if you do not, I think you'll get a kick out of this somewhat whimsical take on trying to explain the Trinity. I should be good at this. I was just thinking. I went to Trinity College and I went to Trinity Seminary. I should know something about it. Part two will then be a brief teaching on a modern look at the Trinity by Robert Jensen, a Lutheran theologian. And this has been helpful to me in the past in which I see as an evolution from the attempt to explain the Holy Trinity by Gregory of Nazianzus, 4th century. Part one. I hope you'll excuse my using a borrowed portion of a sermon, but this seemed to me so attractive that I thought I should share it. Now recall, this is a conversation between Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. Can't you just see them? I sure can. Lou, speaking to Bud, says, Bud, you're a very smart man and you know many things. I bet you know a lot about religion. Bud replies, well, yes, Lou, I do. What would you like to know about religion? Lou says, last weekend I went to the park and there was a church group having a picnic and they had a big sign that said, Holy Trinity Church. Well, but, but I, I've driven around town and I've seen churches named St. Peter, St. Paul, St. Joseph, St. Thomas, but I never heard of this St. Trinity. Who is this St. Trinity? Bud says, Trinity's not a saint, Lou. Trinity is one of the ways that all Christians have, have come to understand God as revealed by Jesus Christ when he came to earth to live among us. The Trinity is God, one God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Lou says, that sure sounds like three gods to me. Bud answers, no, Lou, one God, three persons. It's a mystery, Lou. Lou says, well, Bud, come to think of it, this is a very big world and universe, and there are lots of people for God to watch. So probably the father works the day shift, the son the night shift, <laughs> and the Holy Spirit the graveyard shift. 
Well, the answer is no, Lou, no shifts. God's working all the time. Lou questions, okay. So if God's working all the time, it's still a very big world. So maybe God divides it up into thirds. A third for the Father, a third for the Son, and a third for the Holy Spirit. But no, Lou, no thirds, no divisions. God is undivided. Lou scratches his head for a minute and then says to Bud, well, Bud, let me ask it to you this way. I think God must be a baseball fan. After all, the first words of the Bible say, in the big inning. <laughs> Did I say that? No, Lou, it's in the beginning, not in the big inning. Anyway, but you know how I like baseball. So let's say that God's team was playing a baseball game and God's team was up at bat. The father hits a single. Who's on first? God. Lou says, the father. Bud says, that's right, Lou. Then the son comes up and hits a single. The father goes to second base and the son goes to first base. Who's on first? God. Lou says, I thought God was on second base. Bud says, that's right. <laughs> okay, then the Holy Spirit comes up and lays down a perfect bunt. The father goes to third base, the son goes to second base, and the Holy Spirit beats out the throw, safe at first. Who's on first? Bud says, God. Lou says, I thought God was on second and third. Bud says, that's right, Lou. God's on second and third. God is on first, too. God is on all the bases. Lou ends up with, I don't get it, Bud. Well, Bud can't explain it, and Lou can't get it. Three persons in one God, each fully God, it ain't easy. And perhaps, a little more serious now, and perhaps we have the same difficulty, especially when we try to explain the doctrine of the Trinity and why we live under it to someone else. Maybe we think we've got it because of many years' exposure through Archdeacon Michael's fabulous lectures on the subject. I've heard many times, and I know you have. Or maybe through hymns that we sing that speak of the Trinity, or our own study, or whatever. But again, explaining it to someone is difficult. And do not try to explain it to a Muslim, because Muslims see the Trinity as three separate gods, and that is a conversation stopper for a Muslim. I had a friend in seminary, great name, John Korn, and John had been in the, in the armed services, appropriate today for Memorial Day, and was in some mysterious country, and I'm not sure which one of the Muslim countries it was, but he was there, and he was tasked by the United States Army to explain the Trinity to Muslims. I don't believe this, but that's what he told me. What he came up with was the following. He tried to explain it as one times one times one. 
I don't know whether that does anything, but I just thought I would throw it out there. One might come to the conclusion that the concept of the Trinity is so difficult because the capacity of a human to comprehend such things of God is limited. This is just the nature of the beast. Augustine must have recognized this when he noted, if you can get your mind around it, it cannot be God. Probably, and again serious, we should see the development of the doctrine of the Trinity as related in an organic way to the evolution of the understanding of Christ. By the end of the patristic period, so we're talking 400, 450 AD, it was believed by Christ followers that Jesus was of the same substance as God. You've heard me preach on that before, at least up on the hill. The word homoousios is the Greek word we want here. But did this mean then that there were two gods? That cannot be. There's one God, and I refer you to the Shema, if I can find the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel. Now remember, this is right after Moses gave the Ten Commandments to the Israelites. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That is a foundation stone for the Hebrew religion, clearly. And we have taken it on as well. There is one God. Here, we should recall the incarnation. Jesus came to earth and became man, although he was eternally God. And so we can see the development of the doctrine as an attempt to represent a God who, while remaining transcendent, yet became incarnate in Christ. And more than that, now indwells believers in the Holy Spirit. You heard me on that last week. I would be the first to say that this is a difficult concept to internalize. Robert Jensen, a prominent Lutheran theologian, has promoted the idea that, quote, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the proper name for the God whom Christians know in and through Jesus Christ. The proper name for the God whom Christians know in and through Jesus Christ. And Jensen believes that God should have a proper name. As he states it, quote, the doctrine of the Trinity identifies and names the Christian God in a manner consistent with the biblical witness. It is not a name we've chosen. It is a name that has been chosen for us. End of quote. Jensen says that for us to address God, we must use his proper name, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. We must be precise when we address God with our prayers and praises. And the Trinity is thus an instrument 
of theological precision which forces us to be precise concerning the God under discussion. Does this sound like an attempt to use semantics to simplify the understanding of the doctrine? I do not think so. It is more complicated than that. And as I thought about it this week, it seems to follow closely on the teaching of the Cappadocian father, Gregory of Nazianzus. If you don't know who he is, look him up. It's not Gregory of Nyssa, which you've heard of many, many times here, but another Cappadocian father, Gregory of Nazianzus. He was particularly interested in working out the Trinity. Gregory emphasized the sequential development of the doctrine over time. He believed that it was impossible to deal with the divinity of the Holy Spirit, for example, until the divinity of Christ had been settled. Gregory insists that the depths of the self-revelation of God require many generations to unpack. A long and cautious process of reflection and analysis is needed before the concept reaches dogma level. Now, here's the connection I saw. And so, Jensen, saying that the proper name of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to me, is the culmination of all that reflection. At least in terms of an extended period of time, this, to me, echoes the idea of Jensen, where he says it is all of Holy Scripture that gives us the appellation Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I hope that this is not too cerebral. I don't think it's easy. And I would suggest to you all that you store some of what I've said away, along with what you may have heard from others. And I pray that over time, these ideas and what you pick up from what others may tell you, or what you may read, will allow you to develop your own satisfactory understanding of the Holy Trinity. In the end, I believe that this is a matter of the heart. The spiritual, emotional, and moral core of an individual. This is where the Holy Trinity resides, and that is as it should be. Amen.